morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, come on, y'all doing good? Who's glad to be in church today? Yeah. Hey, I'm so glad to be with all of you in church and just want to say welcome and a special welcome to everyone who's with us online today, tuning in right here at the Cedar Elm campus. We just want to say welcome to all of our online family today. Come on, can we give it up for all of our family who's with us online today? Awesome. It's so good to be with you. Hey, I just want to let you know a couple of things that are up and coming. And the first thing I want to tell you today is that in August, one of our serve projects is going to be something we call Project Backpack, where we put together school supplies and backpacks to give out to kids who um, need school supplies. And so as you leave today, there will be some team members with some City Hope bumper bags. Um, And if you would like to be a part of that, no pressure at all, there's a list inside of that, and you can take one of those and buy as much or as little of the school supplies that you see on the list as you'd like, and then you could just bring it back next Sunday. Again, no pressure on that, only if you want to do that. But also, we have 21 days of prayer coming up, and that's going to be August the 7th through the 27th. And if you've never been to 21 days of prayer, we'll meet every morning during these dates at 6 a.m. here at the Cedar Elm campus, and we'll have a time of worship, um, encouragement, and prayer together. And it's totally different than probably uh, most any other like prayer meeting that I've ever been a part of or ever been to. So I would just encourage you to come and check that out. It'll change your life. And there's many, many people who have had just amazing miracles and things take place in their life through 21 days of prayer. So I'd encourage you to come and be a part of that. And also just be on the lookout because our fall small group semester is going to launch on August the 28th. And you can get in a group and um, life change happens in small groups, we believe. And so that's going to be coming just around the corner for you to be able to get connected in a group. But today we are in the series that we've been in called Running with the Giants. And our theme verse for this series is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Now, Um, just real quick, this great cloud of witnesses that the Bible is talking about are those, um, the people who have gone before us, like they've finished the race that God has set before them. They finished their life. They've completed the purpose that God gave them. And now they're in the grandstands of heaven. And so this is the, the cloud of witnesses that we're talking about here. And this verse recognizes that the race that we're running, the, the life that we that we are living, it's not always an easy one. So it tells us, let us throw off everything that hinders us so that we can run with perseverance. We can complete the race marked out before us. So in this series, we've been just kind of um, going from the perspective of what if those heroes of the faith, those giants of the faith, some from the Old Testament, some from the New Testament, they're in the grandstands of heaven cheering us on. But what if they could just come down to earth for just a moment, and they could take a lap with us around the track of life, and they could give us some words of encouragement. What would they say? And so we've, we've talked about several different giants. We talked about Peter and Jacob, talked about Joseph, Esther, Rebecca, and Daniel. And this week, we're going to talk about one of my favorite, uh, a person from one of my favorite Bible stories. We're going to talk about Noah. Noah, and you're probably familiar with the story of the ark. And so what would, what would Noah say to you if he could run one lap? What words of encouragement 
would he give you? I think maybe he would tell us, don't miss the boat, right? Like, I think that would, that would be an important one. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's some good Noah humor out there. And so I took the liberty of putting some together for you guys to share with you this morning. I just thought I would, I'd just give us a little bit of a laugh this morning. Um, and if you don't think it's funny, you can just give me a courtesy laugh anyways, okay? Um, do you know which bird Noah regretted taking on the ark? The woodpecker. Like, can you imagine? He's just constantly plugging leaks, right? Um, how did Noah see the animals at night? Floodlights. And lastly, there was a letter that was found uh, by archaeologists, and it said, Dear Noah, we've sworn that you said you were going to leave at 4 o'clock. Sincerely, the unicorns. <laughs> Somebody's going to get that one on their way home. A guy, last service, he said, oh, I just got the, the unicorn joke at the end of the service. He's like, it took me a minute. But before we get too deep in the message about Noah, I just want to give you a little bit of biblical history, biblical context, and that would be, I want you to understand that biblical history goes about 6,000 years deep. So Adam, the first man who was created and lived in the Garden of Eden that we read about in Genesis, his time on earth was about 4,000 years B.C. or 4,000 years before Christ. And then the life of Christ was a little over... 2,000 years ago, so that gives us all about 6,000 years deep of biblical history. And so where does Noah fit into that? Noah is the 10th generation after Adam, or the 10th descendant of Adam, you could say, um, approximately 1,000 years after Adam. So that would be around 3,000 B.C. Um, and, and so that's where Noah kind of fits into that timeline. But during this time, the earth had a uniqueness about it that was different than what it is today um, in that um, like people of this time had never seen rain because the earth didn't need rain like, um, because it was fed by underground wells and springs. And so it didn't need rain. So one thing that we know from the story of Noah is that they had never seen rain. And actually, a lot of theologians would tell you, they believe that when we get to heaven, the earth is actually going to be restored to its pre-sin condition. So basically, it would be perfect, just like the Bible describes it in the Garden of Eden before sin entered into the earth. And so in its pre-sin condition, the earth needed no, no rain. And another thing that we see is that people... During the time of Noah, they lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. Like Noah lived to be 950 years old. That's, a that's old. Like that's, that's mind-blowing. Um, he didn't even start having kids until he was 500 years old. He had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And he didn't even start having kids until he was 500 years old. Some of you parents are thinking that's a good idea to do, right? <laughs> like, I, just wait till I get 500, right? Um, he didn't even start building the ark until he was 600 years old. And you may say, Caleb, do you really believe that? That sounds fairy ish That sounds silly. Do you really? Like, come on. Like, and I would just say, yes, I do. Because I think during this time, you know, we know that sin came in through Adam and Eve. But I think as it 
as time went on, sin brings uh, sickness and it brings disease. But during this time, I don't think it had had its full effect yet. And so I think without as much disease and sickness, I think their bodies just were able to live for a really long time. In fact, Methuselah was Noah's grandfather. He's the oldest man in the Bible, lived to be 969 years old. And again, the earth needed no rain during this, during this time. But what we see in the days of Noah and from the story of Noah is that in the time of Noah, wickedness and sin and evil came onto the earth, into the earth into, in very evil, horrible ways to the point that God was grieved that he even created the earth. And if you know the story of Noah, that's ultimately the reason that the flood happens is because God, it's his judgment on the earth. But then after the flood, the floodwaters recede. Um, God restores the human race through Noah and his family. And what we see is that now, after the flood, lifespan of humans are much smaller. Like where Noah lived to be 950 years old, we see Moses who lived to be 120 years old. And this just begins to dwindle and dwindle until throughout history until where we are today, the lifespans that we have today. And like you, you may just think that sounds silly and that sounds, I mean, it's very mind-blowing if you think about it. Um, and you may think, like, I, I don't know if I believe that. But, and you may ask, like, you're teaching that today. Do you really believe that? And I would say, yes, I do believe that. Like, I believe the Bible. I believe it's 100% true. And I have what I would call a, a literal interpretation of the Bible. Like, I think the Bible means what it says, and it says what it means. And, and that's just how I believe. And so that's how I'm going to teach it to you today. Uh, and it reminds me of a, of a story that there was this little girl in school who um, had to write a term paper. For her term paper, she decided to write about Jonah and the whale. And so she turned in her term paper, and her and her teacher were arguing because her teacher said, this isn't true. Like, this, this, never, this didn't actually happen. There's no way that this could have actually happened. Like, whales' throats are too small. They could never swallow a human. And besides, even if they did... Like, a human could never survive in the belly of a whale. Like, it's just not possible. There's no way that this could happen. It, 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 it's not possible. And the little girl said, well, I'm gonna, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah myself. And she said, okay, you, you know, you do that. But what, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? And the little girl said, well, then I'll let you ask him. <laughs> so... Not saying that should be the response or anything, but there you go. Back to running with the giants, though. With, with Noah, what would he say to us if he could go take a lap with us? And I think, and that's the main idea of this message today, I think what Noah would want, would want us to know is that one person can make a difference. All it takes is one person to make a difference, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that today. And so I would want you to know today that no matter if you've tried to run from God, maybe you have a calling on your life and you've ran from it for some time and you think you're too far gone, you've done too much, you've gone too far, maybe you feel like your life doesn't count, I want you to know that your life matters and that you can make a difference. Not only can you make a difference, but God wants you to make a difference. God needs you to, to make a difference and he wants you to be a part of what he is doing today. And so I just want to start out in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 through 8. And it, this is giving us some context on the story of Noah. And it says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth 
and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And in the New Testament, there are two references to Noah that, that are very popular. One is by Jesus and one is by Peter. In both instances, they're referring to the days of Noah and how wicked and how evil the people were. I mean, the Bible says that every inclination, like every thought they had was constantly evil all the time. And what Jesus says is he says, as in the days of Noah, so will it be when the Son of Man returns, as in it will be wicked and it'll be evil and and society, like wickedness and evil and sin will be so prevalent. And in this time, what happens is that it was so evil, so wicked, that God was grieved that he had even made mankind. Like, he, he, he regretted, one version says, that he had made humans. And I don't know if you realize this, but I think there's some similarities between the days of Noah and the society we live in today. Like everywhere we turn, there's evil and wickedness and perversion that's constantly pushed onto us. I mean, you can't even turn on the television to watch Disney Plus or, or Netflix without some kind of evil, sinful perversion being pressed onto us from sexual sin in many different ways and murder and murder of the innocent. And I mean, you can't get away from it. And I'm not talking about politics today. I'm not talking about agendas today, left or right, because we don't do that here. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a matter of sin talking about matters of evil and wickedness. Now, today you might much rather me talk about the goodness of God and the love and the grace and, 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 the, and then how God is for you and he wants you to have a good life. And all those things are true and great to hear. But there's another motivation that the Bible talks about for us to get our lives right. And it's that there's a day of judgment coming to the earth. There's a day coming where we're all gonna stand before God And we're going to be judged. We're going to be judged on account of how we lived our lives, whether we accepted Jesus or whether we denied Jesus, whether we lived for him or whether we did not live for for him. But I think there's some similarities in our our society to the days of Noah from thousands of years ago. And so the Bible tells us that God regretted that he made humans. And so because of this, he said, I'll wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I've created. And with them, the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. And you may be thinking, wow, God is so mean. Like, that's terrible. How could he do that? But then he goes on and says, the Bible tells us in verse 8, that Noah, but Noah, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And because Noah was found as righteous and Noah was found as faithful to God, God preserved Noah and his family and the human race through Noah. God, God showed grace and, and he preserved the human race through the line of Noah. And this shows us that, on, that all it takes is one person to make a difference. All it takes is one person to make a difference for many people, even the whole world. Like, I think it's easy for us, especially in our society, to get so caught up with me and, and like, I have tunnel vision where all I can see is my problems and the grocery bills up and the gas prices up and inflation and, and my fa- like everybody knows that inflation is going on, right? Like we know, we get it, we're all feeling it, okay? But like we get so tunnel vision on me and my problems and my family to the point that 
We lose focus on everybody else around us. Like, we're so focused on ourselves, we can't even see the people all around us. And we're not making a difference with our lives. And like today, what I would want to say to you is respectfully and out of love, I would just want to say to you that your life is not about you. It's real quiet in here. Y'all don't throw anything at me. Your life is not about you. And your salvation is not even about you. Like God saves you so that you can make a difference in the lives of other people. Like God puts us here for a purpose and it's so that we can make a difference for Jesus in our generation, in our lives. And so God has a purpose for us. He wants us to make a difference. And so we're gonna talk about that for a few, few moments is how we can make a difference. And first, you can make a difference for your family. Um, we see this with Noah in the book of Genesis Chapter 7, he says, The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Now, I think this is important. What we can take from this verse is that notice who goes into the ark, you and your whole family. But God didn't say, I found you and your whole family righteous. All he said was, I found you righteous. Because Noah was found righteous, in this instance, it affected his family positively in that they were saved from the flood. They were rescued from the flood because Noah was found faithful, because Noah was found righteous. He had a positive impact on his family. And whether you realize it or not, our lives affect the people who are closest to us. It will affect them positively, it will affect or negatively, depending on how we live. Like the way you're living right now, the things that you're doing every day is currently affecting the people closest to you. It's affecting your children. It's affecting your siblings. It's affecting your, your friends. The way you live your life matters because it affects the people who are around us. And so what I would want for us as a church is I want us to live our lives in such a way that we make a difference in our families, but not just our families, in our city and in our nation and in our world, that we make a difference for Christ. Not a negative difference, but a positive difference. Like a po We make people's lives better. Places are better and brighter because we were there. Like we're living what God has for us to do. And the Bible tells us in Acts 16, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And some people would read this verse and say, so does that mean if I give my life to Christ, like, it don't matter if my kids and my siblings do, like, we're all just automatically going to heaven? And that's not really what it's saying here. Um, the word household, the, the New Testament's written in Greek originally, and so the Greek word for this is oikos, and it's not the yogurt you ate for breakfast, that Greek yogurt, it's not that. It means your sphere of influence. And so what this verse is essentially saying is believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, and you will impact your sphere of influence. You will impact your family. You'll make a difference in the lives of the people closest to you. And I think it's interesting that sociologists, they tell us that each one of us have 12 people inside our sphere of influence. And what determines who's in your sphere of influence is if consistently you spend at least an hour with that person on a weekly basis, like every week. It's got to be consistent. And almost all of us have anywhere from 12 to 17 people in that sphere of influence. And that's where God really wants us to make an impact. Um, and I, I just find this interesting that 
In this same study, they say that most dads only spend seven minutes per day with their children. Seven times seven is 49, meaning most children don't even fall within their father's sphere of influence. I just think that's food for thought, that that's interesting. But the way you live your lives can change your whole family tree. Like, I'll give you an example of this. If you were to look at the Sowell family, my family, um, three, four generations back, you would not see Pastor Derek and Pastor Caleb up here speaking to a church, reading the Bible. You would see a family marked by alcoholism, a family marked by promiscuity, cheating on their wives, abusive to their wives. I mean, just some rotten scoundrels is what you would see from the Sowell family. But my grandfather, my dad's dad, I call him Pa, when he was a young man, God found him in a powerful way. God saved him. Not only did he save him, but he called him to the ministry. My grandfather became a pastor, and now today he's retired as a pastor. But he said, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to live the way my dad lived. I'm not going to live the way I was raised. He was brought up rough. And he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to live the life that God has for me to live. And now, if you were to look at the Sowell family, I was doing the math the other day, and we have approximately 12 to 13 pastors and ministers in our family. And it's all because my grandfather said, we're not going to have it. I'm going to live different. I'm going to live the life that God has called me to live. And it changed our whole family tree. Like one man, one man decided to follow what God had for him, and it made a difference in the whole family. It made a difference in the whole family. So you can make a difference for your family, and you can make a difference for your generation. And I would want especially the youth to know this today, that God wants you to reach your friends, like the the people who are on your teams, the people who's at your school, your friends. God wants you to reach your generation, and not just you teens, but adults as well. God wants us to reach those people in our generation. And one thing that I see today in our society is there are some, what I would say, evil, anti-Christ-like movements taking place in our society that are especially sweeping through our young people. And I'm not here to argue that today. I'm not on sides. All I'm here to say is that I believe that those things are nothing but a distraction from Satan to take our eyes off of the purpose that God has for us. Like, who cares what side you're on? Who cares? Like, God wants us to love people and make a difference in this world. And I believe the enemy uses these things as a plot to distract us and to get us off mission from what God has for us to do, which is to make a difference in our generation. That's his purpose for our life. And the Bible tells us in Acts that when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, that he fell asleep, and he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. And if you read that, you'd say, well, I don't want to fulfill my purpose because then I'm going to die, right? And I don't think that's what the Bible's saying. What I get from this, I actually think is really encouraging. Um, we know it's appointed unto man once to die, right? But the Bible doesn't even say he died. It said he fell asleep and his body decayed because when that time comes for us as believers, we, we fulfilled our purpose. We finished the race that's been set before us, just like the people in the grandstands. We fall asleep, our body may fall asleep, but our spirit goes straight to heaven. We don't even taste death. Like the Bible talks about that, death, where is your sting? There is not even a sting of death because we know where we're going. We're going to be with God. And and I just think that's so encouraging for us today. It's motivation for us to fulfill our purpose in our generation. And the last place you can make a difference is you can make a difference for God. 
And you may say, how can I make a difference for God? And I would say, not only can you, but God wants you to make a difference on his behalf in this world. Like God is looking for somebody to make a difference for him in this world who will live the purpose that he's given to them. Like we see this in the Bible. There's several different passages. I'm just going to show you one today where God is looking. In Ezekiel chapter 22, some of you may know that, not be familiar with this story. But he's saying, I looked. Excuse me. He's, uh-oh. I got this thing all messed up now. There we go. Okay. Sorry about that. It says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. He's like, I don't want to destroy it, so I'm looking for somebody to stand in the gap, but I found no one. And the way God, the way this is written is it's almost like there's not really a line of people waiting to fulfill their purpose. There's not really a line of people who are just waiting to serve God, who are being open and willing vessels saying, God, you can use me, whatever it looks like, I don't care. Send me, I'll go. There's not a line of people looking like that. And I think what God wants is he just wants somebody who says, I'm here, I'm available. I'm ready to to serve you, whatever that looks like. I'm an empty vessel for you to fill, for you to use me. And that's what I want for this church is I want for God to be able to look down at City Hope Church and him to be able to say, now there's a group of people that I can pour my spirit into. There's a group of people that I can empower because I found them righteous. I found them faithful. They're willing. They're able to serve me. I don't want God to have to look too hard because we're right here. And all he's got to do is look right here in Wichita Falls because we're available to serve him. That's what I want for us. And so as Noah's getting ready to go back into the, the grandstands of heaven, what would his final words of encouragement for us be? And I think the first thing Noah would tell us is don't be afraid to stand out in a crowd because chances are God's going to call you to do something that goes against the flow, something that goes against the grain of our society, the flow of our culture and our society. Because to be a difference maker, you have to be different. Like your life has to be different if you're going to make a difference. And I think too many people in this world, they they don't make a difference because they don't live different. Like there's a lot of Christian people who they are saved and they're on the way to heaven and glory to God, they're on the way to heaven, but they're not making a hill of beans different. They're not making a hill of beans of a difference. They're just not. Because they don't live any different. Their lives look like the rest of the world. You have to be different if you're going to make a difference. And I'll give you an example of this from Noah. Remember earlier I told you it had never rained. Like they had never seen rain before. Sounds like they lived in Wichita Falls, right? (laughs) They'd never seen rain. God comes to Noah and says, hey, Noah, I want you to build a boat, a really big boat. So big because... It's going to rain a lot. And I know you don't know what rain is, but rain is this water that falls out of the sky. And it's going to rain so much that it's going to fill up the earth and it's going to flood the earth and it's going to destroy the earth. And so I want you to build this ark so that you and your family will be saved. And Noah's like, okay, I'll build the ark. And so he begins building the ark. But the Bible tells us that people thought he was crazy. Like, they're walking by, and Noah's building this boat. 
And they're like, what are you doing, Noah? And he's like, I'm building a boat. It's going to rain. And this is going to save us. And they're like, what is rain? And he's like, it's this water stuff that falls out of the sky. And it's going to fill up the earth. And we're all going to drown in it if I don't build this boat. And they're like, what's Noah been smoking? Like, he's crazy. Like, Noah's losing it, right? And to you, you may say, yeah, but God came down and spoke to him and told him to build the ark. And so I, I would do that, right? I mean, like, in my, in my mind, I think, yeah, I'd build the boat. Like, God told me to do it, so I'd build the boat. But it took him 120 years to build the boat. Like, can you imagine you're 85? He's still hammering, and he's like, all right, God, where's that water stuff? Like, you said it was coming. I'm looking like a fool out here. Where's it at? Like, 85 years. Can you imagine? 120 total years of people ridiculing him, calling him crazy, and making fun of him every day. Like, I think if people called me crazy that long, I might start to believe them, you know? Like, it's a long time. But Noah wasn't afraid to stand out in the crowd because he cared more about pleasing God than he cared about being different. He cared more about pleasing God. And so he obeyed. And so I wrote down a list of things. This is especially for our youth today. Is don't be afraid to stand out in a crowd when you're being pressured to do something that you know displeases God. Don't be afraid to stand out in a crowd when you're at the party and everyone else is doing it. Don't be afraid to stand out in a crowd when your friends are telling that dirty joke that you know you shouldn't be listening to. Don't be afraid to stand out in a crowd when you're in that movie. It's worse than you thought it was gonna be and you're deciding if you're gonna go or stay. Just go ahead and go. Like, don't be afraid to stand out. Don't be afraid to stand out when your boyfriend or girlfriend is pressuring you to do something that you know you shouldn't be doing, at least not until you get married anyways. Don't be afraid to stand out. Adults, don't be afraid to stand out when your job is asking you to do something unethical or to fudge the numbers or when everyone else is doing it. When, when you feel pressured to do something that you know goes against your conscience, you know that it displeases God, don't be afraid to stand out. God calls us to stand out. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 29 that fear of man will prove to be a snare. It's a trap. And fear of man is a big reason why we don't want to stand out. We're afraid of what they're going to say. But whoever trusts in the Lord, they will be kept safe. So don't be afraid to stand out. I think next what he would say is don't be afraid to do something for the first time. Because God is probably going to call you to do something that you've never done before. Maybe something that no one has ever done before. Like just ask Peter when he walked on the water, right? He may call you to do something that you've never seen before like he did with Noah. He had never seen the rain. The Bible tells us that in Hebrews, that by faith Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, talking about the rain and the flood, in holy fear he built an ark to save his family. By faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Because of faith, Noah built that ark. Even though no one had ever done it before. They'd never seen rain before. He trusted God, and he did what God called him to do. Now, I don't know about you, but I just feel like if God came to me and told me, I want you to build a boat because I'm going to flood the earth, and this flood is going to be so strong and so powerful that it's going to wipe out everything. Like, it's going to destroy everything. Like, I think I would just ask God, are you sure you don't want us to hire this one out? Like, 
I can pay for it, like, but I don't know that I want to, you know, I'm all up for a DIY, but I don't know that I want this to be my debut project. Like, this thing needs to be a, a quality boat, right? Like, it needs to be pretty strong. But Noah did it. He never built a boat before. But by faith, he did what God told him to do, even when it didn't make sense, even if he had never done it before. And I think God does that to us sometimes because he wants us to know that it's not about you. It's not about how smart you are. It's not about how strong you are. It's not about how good looking or how tall or what skills you do or don't have or what influence you do or don't have. It's not about those things. It's about my power being inside of you and me empowering you to make a difference, to do things that you would never be able to do on your own. That's what it's about. The Bible tells us, he tells us, my gracious grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. So like when we're weak, when we may not be good at something, when we're doing something we're unfamiliar with, that's when God's power is able to be activated inside of us. That's when God fills us with his power and we do things that we never thought that we could do. We never imagined we could do. And the last thing that I think Noah would tell us, and I'm getting ready to wrap this up. I think he'd tell us, when you see a rainbow, remember that one person can make a difference. The Bible tells us that God put the rainbow so that it would be a sign. It'd be a sign of the covenant between him and between us. Like that's where the rainbow came from originally. It was a sign of the covenant between us and God. His promise that he would never destroy the earth by flood again. That's what God's promise was, through the rainbow. And I, to this day, every time I see the rainbow, I think about that. I was in Cuba recently on a missions trip, and we saw this big double rainbow, and I remembered God's promise. God saved the whole human race through Noah. And it's a reminder that one person can make a difference. It's a reminder that God is with you, just like Jesus tells us, at the end, when he's given us the great commission, telling us to make a difference, at the end, he says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And I told you earlier that the days of Noah are mentioned in the Bible in the New Testament a few times, once by Jesus, once by Peter. We talked about the one that Jesus said about as in the days of Noah, so it will be when I return. The one where Peter uses it is right here in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 6 through 9 and he says by these waters what waters the flood waters is what he's talking about by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and it was destroyed by the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment talking about the earth being destroyed and fire in the end and destruction of the ungodly. You can read about all that in Revelation if you'd like. And then in verse 9 he says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. A lot of people would ask when is the end coming? When is all this going to happen? Like it was said thousands of years ago and it's still not happening. Like when's it going to happen? Like God just taking his time? What's he doing? He tells us the Lord's not slow keeping his promise as we understand slowness instead he's being patient with you not wanting anyone to perish 
but everyone to come to repentance. That tells us the reason the end hasn't come yet is because God's being patient. He's holding back. He's waiting because it is the will of God that none would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. So what's God waiting on? Why is he not coming back yet? What's up with the end, God? He's waiting. He's waiting for you. He's saying, I'm giving you some time. I'm giving you a little more time. From my grace, my mercy, my love, I'm showing patience to give you more time so that you can have time to get it right. So that you can have time to get things right. And while God's given us time now, I just want you to know that there's coming a day where there will be no more time. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. I want you to know today that God loves you. And because of his love, he's being patient and he's waiting. But there's coming a day where we will all be judged before him. And the story of Noah reminds us of that. The story of Noah reminds us that there's a day of judgment coming. And I think as Christians, those who are saved, this ought to motivate us. It ought to motivate us to begin living our lives to make a difference, to begin living our lives to reach as many people as we possibly can. People who are far from God, that's, what, that's why God puts us here. That's why he saves us, saves us so we can save others, so that we can reach others with his love. It ought to motivate us to live a life that makes a difference. If you would, just bow your heads with me, close your eyes. And I just want to pray over all of those today who maybe you're a Christian, you're saved, you're making a difference. Praise God for that. But you're not really making, make, you're not living life to make a difference. You're saved. Things are good with you. But you just focus on yourself. Maybe God's been whispering this to you, but I just feel like saying to somebody today, God's saying there's more. There's more. You're not finished yet. The race isn't over yet. There's more work for you to do. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose for your life. And I just want to pray over all of those today. I don't want you to identify yourself. I just want to pray, God, for every person today They're a Christian and they're saved, but to be honest, they've just been living complacent lives. Lord, forgive us for our complacency. Lord, fill us with hope. Fill us with your purpose. Show us your plan that you have for us, God, so we can live our lives for something bigger than ourselves. God, that we wouldn't just keep our salvation to ourselves, but that we would use it to reach many people who are far from you, God. Give us direction. Give us wisdom. Give us, God, and stir our hearts, God. Stir our spirits and stir our souls, Lord, that when we walk out of this place today, that we would leave on mission, the mission that you've put in front of us, God. Would you pour your spirit out on us? Bring us to life, God. Give us a spiritual thirst and a spiritual hunger for you to live for you. With your head still bowed, if you're in the room today and maybe you'd say, I'm far from God. I don't have a relationship with him. And you hear me talking about how God's waiting. He's patiently waiting. You feel that tug in your heart. Holy Spirit whispering to you, today's the day. Today's the day of salvation. You can get it right. Get it right while there's still time.
get it right while God's being patient. It's his will for you to be saved. He wants a relationship with you. It's, God's not this mean God. The Bible says it's the will of God that none would perish, but that all would be saved. And if that's you today, you wanna pray that prayer, you wanna be saved, you wanna give your life to Christ, you wanna begin a relationship with him. If that's you on three, just lift your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, I see you, thank you. Appreciate you, I see you. Hey, God's proud of you. I see you back there. God loves you, he's proud of you. Anybody else, I see you in the balcony. So good. Anybody else, I'm gonna give my life to Christ today. I'm coming home. Today's my day. Awesome. Hey, I'm gonna lead this whole church in a prayer. I wanna ask that you all pray it in support of those who raise their hand. Even if you didn't raise your hand today, if you'll pray this from your heart and mean it, God will save you. He'll do the same thing. Let's pray this. Jesus, I'm coming home. Thank you for drawing me to you. Thank you for your patience, for your kindness and your mercy that you've shown to me. Today, I give you my life. All that I am is yours. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Everything. Come inside my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Save me, transform me, and help me to live a life full of purpose, fulfilling all that you have for me to do. From this day forward, I'm gonna serve you, I'm gonna follow you the best that I know how. In Jesus' name, amen.